Well, good to see you all uh, this morning. Hope you're doing well, coming from a, a good week. It's uh, hard for me to get sympathy for my friends in Chicago when I'm just like, listen, you guys, it's, it was under 60 this week. It was kind of tough, you know. There's a, there's a brisk breeze that I felt. And so uh, hopefully you're enjoying this uh, fall weather. Well, this morning we're going to be continuing in our series we've been working through, as you know, the, the book of Mark, and hopefully you've enjoyed that as much as I have. And thinking about this morning's topic about expectations, and uh, we've had a, the privilege of having over the last four weeks, we've had a number of different couples over to our, our house. Someone initiated this idea of, of dinners for eight, and so we started like, yeah, that'd be fun to do. And so we've had uh, four different dinners for eight in the last uh, five weeks, so my, my wife's cooking skills are put to the test here. And uh, we've had fun with that, and one of the conversations that we've had over the dinner table talking with different couples is just asking the question, Tell us about how you met and tell us about your engagement story, just kind of their, their love story, if you will, since we're on that theme here this morning. Uh, and, and fun hearing the different responses. Some, it was a story of meeting on online dating from uh, like random, didn't like each other, but became friends and started to like each other. One particu in particular stuck out in my mind was one couple was explaining to me that they met in college and the first time they met, they started talking and the guy looked down and noticed that she had a ring on her finger. And he said, oh, oh are you engaged? She's like, yes, I am. And his response was priceless. He says, why are you marrying him when you don't even love him? What? <laughs> s s said that, and clearly that worked for him because he's now married uh, to her. And so there's some <laughs> adjustment in the, in the plans there. And so that was a, that was a shocker. Uh, and so, so just fun hearing different stories. Usually in the, uh, somebody's relationship uh, account, they usually have what I would define as a DTR. Who can tell me what that stands for? Define the relationship. You can maybe, if you're in it, if you're married or if you have dated or you've uh, had a relationship before, you can think back to that awkward conversation, right? Where you have to define like, okay, do we have feelings for each other? Is this going somewhere? Is this a, what, what, what's happening there? Clarifying what to expect, if you will. And I was thinking about that. I was like, you know what? I really feel like the book of Mark as a, as a whole, this eyewitness account that we're giving or talking through, as a whole, it is really a DTR, defining the relationship. What does a relationship with God, with Jesus Christ, what does that look like? And there's been a lot that we've talked about so far in this series about what to expect or what God expects from us in the relationship. If you think about some of the topics we've had already, whether we're called to be a, a follower, not just a fan. We talked about being fully in as part of the relationship, not just kind of a halfway partial thing. We, we also talked last week, another expectation is that we're uh, to be a, a servant, a servant of all, is another expectation of what it looks like to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ Last week, though, we started turning a little bit of a corner and started clarifying what we can expect from him. Do you remember last week? What did we talk about? We talked about the fact that he came to serve, not to be served. What a beautiful reality. The almighty God, God in the flesh, coming down in an earth suit, chose to come as a servant, to serve us, which is a, a beautiful reality. We're even talking last week about really... No aspect of the Christian life doesn't require him serving us. If you think about that, 
No aspect of the, uh, of the Christian life. We're, we're dependent on him serving us, whether it's whether just uh, sustaining our life, whether it's uh, giving us the power to overcome sin, whether it's giving us the ability to, uh, to navigate forgiveness. All of those things, we're dependent on him. So we learned that last week about what to expect. And I'd propose this week, as we unpack a story that we're mostly going to be familiar with, a triumphal entry, there's a few things that maybe our eyes hadn't caught before on the pages of what else we can expect from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us before we dive into that, though. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this account that we have of your life and the, the picture that was painted of, of the things that you valued, the things that you focused in on, the compassion that you had for people. The, the glimpse into your character that we get. We pray now that you'd reveal yourself to us this morning, that you'd speak to us through your word. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name, amen. Well, so I've titled this, What Should I Expect? And going through some different areas of things to expect, I wanna just be clear. So this is chapter 11. We're gonna do two more chapters 12 and 13, and then we're taking a little pause and going to revisit this series leading up to Easter. I realized that I didn't want to preach on the, the risen Christ on Christmas Day, and so we're going to try to move things around. So we're going to do the pick up the last three weeks of this series, the two weeks up to Easter, and then Easter Sunday. Does that make sense? So that's what's to be expected. But this morning in chapter 11, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11, then a pause, and then 15 through 19. So starting in verse 1, what to expect. Expect he is in complete control. Verse 1 says this, Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter in, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said and they let them go. Let's pause there for a second. I, I was thinking about this, a pretty unique section to have included in the, the text. You're like, why, why, is that even, why is that even there? What's, what's the, the point of that? But imagine for a second if you had the ability to know everything before it happened. How would things look different for you? If you had the ability to know every single thing before it actually happened to you, some of you grew up watching Back to the Future movies. Anybody else? Like, it was kind of fun seeing him do the flashback. Marty McFly, is that his name? Uh, Michael J. Fox playing this character, going back, and it, it really changed things because he knew what was going to happen, and so he, he made decisions and choices based on the knowledge of what was to come. What would that be like if that was always your reality? What would that be like? Now, I'll take that a, a step further, if you will. What if not only did you know everything that was about to happen to you, what if you had also the ability to alter anything you wanted? You could change any circumstance. You could change someone's thinking. You could change somebody's response. You could change anything. That would leave you what? Pretty good control, right? 
think you could navigate life pretty good if you had, one, the ability to see what was going to happen next. Two, you had the ability to alter anything that was about to happen next. What would that leave you? That would leave you pretty much in complete control, wouldn't it? That pretty much leave. well, that's my point. Think about Jesus. This is a little glimpse into his deity. One, he's just arriving to this town. How would he know that there's a cult tied in this area and it's, it's never been ridden on? How, we, how would he have that information? This is the first time he's arriving there. How would he anticipate their response? How would he, how would he say, like I was picturing of a kind of like a, med, a Jedi mind trick, we are taking the cult and you are okay with it. You know what I mean? Like, like how does that work? Like what, what happened there? That's how things played out here. He saw everything that was going to happen. He had the ability to control it. There was nothing that was going to get in the way of the plan that he had, right? Do you think there was anything that could have stopped him from getting that donkey if he so chose? Nothing. No, because why? He was in complete control. To me, I love this reality because if you allow that to sink in and we're thinking about following Jesus Christ, think about those factors. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He can control it. And then let me just add one more thing into the mix. How about Jeremiah 29, 11? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. I would say that's an encouraging section of scripture. When you think of it from that perspective, one, he knows what's coming. Two, he can alter anything he wants and his plan is the best for you. You're like, wait a second. That's someone I'm pretty interested in being in relationship with, right? Like that would only make sense as an encouragement. So a little glimpse into the character of Jesus Christ or the deity, if you will, expect that he is in complete control. Some of us need to know that this morning because the world that we're in and the life that they're living seems completely like chaos. This is encouraging. He's in control. Let's continue in verse 7. Another expectation. Expect that he keeps his promises. Verse 7 says this, And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Now that doesn't tell us a whole lot other than the first thing that comes to mind. If this thing's never been ridden, that that would be pretty impressive to sit, just plop right on it, you know, as if it's going to be okay with that. But beyond that, I feel like we benefit from the different accounts of the same story. When you're going to get the full scope or the picture of what was actually transpiring here, it's fun to see in the different books of the Bible. Here in John 12, 14 through 15, I'll put that on the screen there, it gives a little bit more detail of what was actually happening here. It says this, it says, And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Let's wait there for a second. Why is that such a big deal? What does it say? It says, just as it is written. This was a prophecy from, three, from 680 years earlier in Zechariah 9.9. It's kind of cool to see that God's like, wait a second. I'm going to do things exactly the way that it was described that they would be done. It's fascinating if you've ever spent any time studying the, just a little bit about prophecy and realizing that Jesus, just in his life, met over 300 prophecies from the Old Testament. Things that were said that were going to happen in his life, he executed them perfectly. Some of you are like, oh, you could look up that prophecy, and, and of course you could get a donkey. How, how do you do with, how about prophecies about where you're born? How much control do you have over that? 
How about where you're going to grow up? Do you get some choices in that as, a, as an infant? Like the, so many of the prophecies, I've never seen the breakdown, would just be completely out of your control. So this is another picture of Jesus meeting a promise that was made. If you think about why he did that, a couple interesting facts. First off, that if you're coming into a, a town or a village or a city as a conquering king, you would come riding on a stallion. You've seen this in the movies. They're, they've got the armor on and the sword, and they come on this powerful white, I can picture a big white horse. That's coming, don't worry. That's in Revelation. But, but here, in this form, he's pointing out the fact that when you come on a donkey, you're showing the fact that you're showing up in peace as one bringing peace. And so as all of the expectations were that he was gonna come and solve everything and, and lead them out of Roman rule, he's showing up and saying, no, I'm showing up, yes, as a king, but no, not as one of war. So here, meeting just one of 300 different promises. It's kind of encouraging if you think about it, how many promises we have that we can cling to in scripture. Did you know that there are estimated 3,573 promises to a believer in Scripture. Isn't that crazy? 3,573 promises. If you've embraced Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's 3,500 promises written to you for you to find hope in. Isn't that awesome? I was looking this last week, and there's a, a fun website online. Maybe you've seen it before. It's called 365promises.com. It has a different promise from Scripture every single day of the year. And I imagine they could do that for 10 years straight based on these statistics. It's awesome truth that we as believers, if we've put our trust in Jesus Christ, have promises to cling to. But let me caution us in that for a second, because the truth is we have to make sure that our expectations align with actual promises. Does that make sense? There's certain things that sometimes that we have as an expectation that you scroll down the 3,600, 3,500 promises and you're like, that's not there. That's not there. I'll share a silly one. Some years back, I get sucked into these HGTV shows. I don't know if there's any other addicts out there. It's an issue. I'm seeing a pastor about it. But... Um, <laughs> But uh, one of the things, uh, one of the shows has uh, where they take a, uh, or, or through the series of shows, they were, they were highlighting this dream HGTV dream home contest. And, uh, and living in my, uh, in, my, in my town home as a rental, I was thinking, you know, that, that, would be, that would be really nice to win this house. I see pictures of it online. It came with a nice SUV as well. I was like, you know what? That would really change things a lot. Then I discovered, here's confessions, then I discovered you could, you could go online and you could enter to win every single day until the contest concludes. I was like, this is perfect. No other moron's gonna do this. I'm the only guy. But, uh, but so there, I set my, my little timer as I came into work. I just visit real quick, just click on the register to win. And uh, so I think I did that for about two and a half, this is embarrassing, about two, two and a half, about two and a half months I did that. And the day, I'm looking at the date. When are they deciding this? When are they deciding this? They, the day came and passed. No knock on my door, no ring on my doorbell, no big size mega check or whatever. Like, I didn't get any of it. You know why? It wasn't promised to me. 
It was maybe not because of a lack of praying. It, it was because it, it was it was because that was that was never promised to me. That was never promised to me. And so for us, the reminder here's the truth about Jesus Christ in our in our life is that he doesn't always meet expectations, but he always keeps his promises. Let that sink in for a second. He doesn't always meet expectations, but he always keeps his promises. That's a beautiful truth. That's something that you're like, all right, so what does that tell you? I should know what his promises are. Well, guess what? I've got a book for you I want to recommend right here. Like it has lots of them in it. It should be something that we're, we're, that we're excited about, that we dig in and, and we cling to things, the promises that are throughout scripture. So what to expect in a relationship with Jesus Christ? Expect that he keeps his promises. Verse eight, continuing on. And many spread their cloak on the road and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields and those who went before and those who followed were shouting hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord blessed is the coming kingdom of our father david hosanna in the highest let's pause there and think through this a little bit what's actually happening there we've talked about this before in this series is that the jews were under heavy roman rule this was a difficult time to, to be a, uh, to be a jew and so what were they hoping for they were they're under this heavy t- tax and restriction they were hoping that somehow this messiah was going to show up and finally set them free, finally set them free. They'd put a lot of hopes in what this Messiah was going to actually do for them, right? And watching Jesus' life, they're like, wait a second, this guy fits the bill. He's got the power. He speaks with authority. He, he heals. He makes food out of nothing. He changes things. He, he demands things of the weather. They're like, this is perfect. We want him to be the one that rescues us. And think about it. This is the exact perfect timing for this to happen. This is, this, is, this is during the Passover. If you think about what was being celebrated at the Passover, Passover was when the Egyptians had, when the, the Israelites had been under Egyptian rule and they were finally set free. Remember, the, the, the death angel passed by all the Jewish homes. The boys were saved. This was the last straw that caused Pharaoh to set them free. And so this is the perfect time. It's estimated that at that time, there were more than two million people coming to, to Jerusalem during the Passover. So this is the, like if there was ever a time that you could rally the troops, right? Like that would have been the perfect time to come in on the prancing stallion and say like, all right guys, let's take over this place. But that's not what Jesus did, right? He showed up on what? a colt on a donkey. That, 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 was, that was how he chose to arrive. Uh, maybe they're able to uh, say, okay, maybe that's not what we think. Maybe it's going to change. And so they start cheering. They, the, this is the pinnacle. This is the peak of the emotional excitement. You can see the, the, the people getting riled up. I don't know how, it doesn't say how many people in the crowd, but vote by, vote by guessing here. Do you guys think it was probably a decent amount of people there chanting and cheering if there's two million in town? And so so here, what are they doing? They're saying, listen, they're, they're waving their, their palm branches, which was a symbol of Jewish nationalism. They're saying, rallying the troops, if you will, getting people stirred up. And, and, and then what is the, else does it say that they do? They're taking their cloaks and throwing them down. Why would you, why would you do that? Doesn't that seem kind of weird in our, in our culture? What that was is that represented a degree of submission. 
That was saying, here, I'm saying, go ahead, come, come walk on me, L- rule over me, lead me, lead me. So this was the point, the high point, if you will. If you're one of Jesus' disciples, you're like, yes, it's finally happening. This is heading the right direction. Look, the people are, are finally, they're willing to submit. My wife and I got a, a new dog in the last year. I've talked about it before. Her name's Bailey. It was a Craigslist purchase. She's about three years old. Really fun, fun little uh, cockapoo. That's weird to say. Uh, and, um, and we have, uh, you have to pretty, be pretty secure in your masculinity to own this dog, basically. <laughs> so we have the, the, this little dog. And so, so interesting to watch her because uh, with the kids, she'll be, she'll be playing and, and running around. They'll try to get her to like stop and like, they, no, not happening. But when, when I come in, I'm like, Bailey, she just lays down and kind of rolls over. She's like, all right, I quit. I quit. And I, I was thinking of that, that picture. That, that, that's, that's the people here. They're saying, all right, we, we quit. We submit. We're, we're, we're letting you rule. We're, we're, we're willing to have you as our leader. But don't you think that some of those same people that are throwing their cloaks and saying we submit, part of the same crowd that one week later, this is the last week of Jesus' life, one week later are are screaming what? Crucify him, crucify him. So some definitely some, some highs and lows in, 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 the, in following Christ here. You think about that they're the people that are chanting that and how easy it is for us to follow suit on that where we can go from an emotional high spiritually where we've experienced this awesome time with God or this awesome season and we're like, yeah, this is great. Everything's going awesome. The business is doing good. And then what happens when you get that phone call? When you find out you've got some kind of a health issue that they don't really have an answer for? What, what, what happens then? The, the highs and lows of following Christ, that's again where you cling to the promises, Right? John, in John 16, Jesus pro- promised him, listen, he said, you will have tribulation. It wasn't like you might, you, sometime it might happen. No, you will have it. It's going to come. If it hasn't happened, guess what, high schoolers? It's on the radar. It's on the horizon. You're heading into it. So he's saying it will happen. But then think about his promise that he says, I'll never, ever, ever leave you or forsake you. That's something to cling to, right? It's a beautiful thing to cling to. I've had the the joy of spending some time with Nancy Melanie over the last uh, year, and her and Gina are a gift to our church, and it's been so fun to watch her heart and her her response to battling with cancer. You wouldn't know that she's battling, that she's in the the thick of chemo. The, The spirit that she keeps, the joy that she exudes, you're like, wait a second, because why? Because she's clinging. She realized there's some highs, there's some lows, but she's clinging to the truth that God is with her through this, and he's at the end line. It's a, it's a no-lose scenario in her mind, and she's got it straight. She's a gift to us in setting the stage for that. This picture, I don't know if you're uh, like this too, but I feel like the longer I'm alive, the more I'm reminded of this reality of like, man, it's, it's not all easy following Christ, right? Anybody else like that? Where you're like, it has some highs. There's some times where like emotionally it's really exciting. This is awesome. But then there's a lot of seasons. There's a lot of times that it's just, just clinging to promises. Just clinging to promises of his faithfulness. And that's the gift that we have. Not saying that it's going to be absent of trials, but how do we respond to those? The highs and lows. I'll tell you what, it's a lot easier to cling when we're aware of this, this fact that there is, that there are going to be some highs and lows. 
So another thing to expect. Verse 11 is an important thing to understand as well. It says this, And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Again, here we benefit from having a, a further explanation of, of what actually happened when he arrived. This was at the end of his, his coronation uh, service, if you will. This was at the conclusion of that. He's entering into the city, but it doesn't say in this section here how he responds to the, all the accolades, how he responds to the crowds. Take a look. I have it on the screen there. Luke 19, 41 says this. And when he drew near and saw the city... He wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. Interesting response, isn't it? This is the, the height of, the, uh, of his popularity. This is the peak of it. I mean, he's just finishing a parade in his honor. Like, you can imagine, like, the natural response, like, would have a grin from ear to ear, right? Like, finally, they're getting it. They're, they're understanding who I am. They're finally embracing me as the rightful king. But that's not what happened. What does it say is, is his response? Picturing this man at the end of his parade, the parade in his honor, Eyes filled with tears, crying, sad, heartbroken. Why? Because why? Because he cared about the people in that crowd, the people that he knew in, in seven days would be chanting to crucify him. He knew what was on the horizon. We already talked about that. So because of that, his heart broke. He's just like, oh, I just wish they would understand what was going to bring them peace. I wish they wouldn't miss it. I wish they, they, and so what? He wasn't sucked into the accolades. He wasn't in the, in the moment. He wasn't at the peak of this all jazzed up. Like, think about us. Like, we, we if we're honest with ourselves, we love when we're celebrated. We're love, we love when people talk highly of us, when there's high acclaim and, and an article written about us or, a, or, or someone singing your praises about a work accomplishment or something, how great a cook you are or, or whatever it might be in your life, a sports feat. We love when things are celebrated. I was thinking back as it relates to this when I was in high school, I played a lot of basketball and I remember one time a friend called me and said, guess what, you're not gonna believe this. And he's kind of messing with me. He's like, he's like you are in a picture on the Sun Times from our basketball game this last week. I was like, are you kidding me? So I'm like scrambling to see, to get, get, a, get a picture and see, see where, what the picture was. It had to be one of the three-pointers I made. It just had to be. So I'm scrambling to get the paper. I, I look in the paper, and you want to see the, 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 the position that I was in? Watching as this other young man was doing this awesome move on top of me, and there I am, just flat-footed, just looking up, completely not in the play, a non-factor, if you will, in the game of basketball. And I, I, I was broken. I was like, come on, this is my one shot. I was going to be famous, like Michael Jordan. Who knows about that man? And, and, but here, the truth is, I get sucked into it. We all get sucked into it. We love the accolades. We can get sucked that direction, but that's not how Jesus responds. That's not his response to the celebration because he saw the impending justice. He says, oh man, if they could understand the things that make for peace. His heart broke for the people. 
So not only did he care deeply about the people, I want to remind us here that that wasn't just for that people group that he was there breaking his heart. That, that, that broken heart is for this people group, is, is for those in this community, in the Conejo Valley. His heart breaks for those who miss it, that don't understand that their one solution for, their one option or opportunity for peace was what? Him. The gospel message, that, that, that's the one glimpse or potential for peace. But I love to cling to that fact, one, that he answers promises, two, that he cares deeply for them, for us. He cares deeply for us. Not just that, verse 15, we see also that he cares deeply about his church. Not just us individually, but also collectively he cares about us. Look in verse 15, it says, and, they, and we'll conclude with this. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. I'll explain that in a minute. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy for they destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Let's pause there. I, uh, I jumped, I meant to mention that, I jumped from verse 11 to 15 because the, the fig tree stuff would need a little bit further explanation, but this continues the narrative of what was happening in response to, uh, to him coming into the city. And look at the, the, you notice there that the cheering and the praising and all that had stopped, really. And you wonder what actually happened. A little clue back in verse 11 it says that he looked around at everything. He, he was noticing, he was, he was casing the joint, if you will. He looked around at everything and he's like, this is not right. This is being misused. This is, and and we, what I love about this, this wasn't just a, a fit of rage. Some of you are just like, he came in and he was just so ticked off. What does it say? First he went home, let it simmer. Maybe some of us uh, husbands can learn from this. Let things settle in and, and then responded. So this wasn't an emotional response. He came back the next day and he was confronting those in the temple. What was he actually confronting? We've talked about this before at ABF. Let me give a brief synopsis of what was happening. It says what in the text? says that there was money changers. What was a money changer for? The explanation is this. Every single year at the Passover, you are required as a Jewish citizen to bring a temple tax that you had to pay. When you showed up to pay the temple tax, the currency that they used in the, the, the land was a Roman coin. The temple tax could not be paid with a Roman coin because it had a Roman leader on the coin. Does that make sense? So to help you out, to make it so convenient with you, you had the money changers that would exchange your coin for a coin that was doable as paying tax. Does that make sense? This temple coin that was exchanged, that they believed that it was exchanged for about what was equivalent to a day's wage for that exchange. 
So think about it. Even in this room right now, can you imagine if, okay, I'm planning to come and, and give my offering to the church, but you had people set out out in the lobby saying, we can't give it with, a, we can't give it with, that, uh, with that dollar bill. We need to exchange the money for you. We need to give it for a, a, a church-appropriate form of money. Like, but here's the exchange rate. You'd be like, what in the world? But that had become the norm in that culture. So they were gouging all of these people, and think about how many people did I say were coming to Jerusalem at the time? Two million. Do you th- a day's wages? Think, a t- think about that in today's terms. A day's wages, say you make a hundred bucks a day just for that. Like You're talking about large amounts of money happening in this exchange. This was a big deal. Okay, you take that a, a step further. What does he also confront? The ones that were selling pigeons. Why would they be selling pigeons? And the same thing, you had a temple tax that you paid. You also had an offering that you would bring. Some would bring a goat. Some would bring a sheep. Some, if they had less resources to work with, they would bring a pigeon. Either way, it had to make it through a filter of purity, saying like, hey, that's a, that's a, that's a clean, that's a purified animal. That's, that's great. This one's not good because it has that blemish. And so what they had set up is they had pre-scanned animals checked out to make sure they're pure, but you had to buy them when you arrived there. If you brought in something from the outside, do you think they'd find a a fault with it? Of course, but don't worry. You could buy a pre-screened animal here at the temple. So you can see how this system was what? It become pretty ugly taking advantage, abusing, using the sacred to turn a prophet in this, what, this infuriated Jesus. It's like, I can't take that in my house. And he uses this as a, as a teaching moment. It just describes him as driving people out. Can you picture this scene? Like, you're like, wait a second. This is where we do all of our business. This is where it all goes down. This is where we make our, our profit for the whole year. And he's driving them out. Can you imagine? Probably not a real good PR move, right? He, like the, the parade is over and you're trying to gain friends. Probably not real wise way to do that, to end what was the, the exchange of a lot of goods for services, if you will. But he drives them out. And what does he teach them? What does it say? He tells them, he describes, he's like, listen, I just wanted this to be, my plan for this was for it to be a house of prayer for all nations. That was the plan. Think about it. House of prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is conversation with God. It's talking with them. It's listening to them. It's interacting with them. What is Jesus saying? He's like, I just wanted this for relationship. I wanted this to be a place where we could talk, where we could interact, where, where you could worship, where we could talk, where you could bring requests, where you could, this was the interaction that his, was desired in his house, still desired in his house today. So he's saying, listen, that you, you've wandered so far from this. How are we doing on that? Are we a house of prayer? What I'd propose, what I'd say, is it starts with us individually, right? Am I a house of prayer? Because that's the church, is made up of people, individuals. Am I a house of prayer? That's what he was confronting in that time. He also wanted, I love it, that he's like, this isn't just a, a, a relationship to have with a few people. This is for all nations, Everybody is invited to this party. Every single person is invited to this, this house of prayer. Everybody's included. Doesn't matter what your social status, doesn't matter what income bracket, it doesn't matter what ethnicity. This is a house of prayer for all nations. Every single person. 
So he's desiring everybody to be involved. He's desiring relationship. He's like, can't we get back to that? He was so adamant about that because he cared about his house. He cared about the people and how they'd wandered from it, that he's willing to shake things up a little bit. That probably caused quite a stir. In fact, how does it say that the people responded? What does it say that they did? It says, and the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. That's pretty intense. That's like greater than killing or hurting him or giving him a good punch in the jaw. Like, no, they, they were seeking to destroy him for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his te- teaching. My question for us as a church, what's our response when Jesus confronts us in our sin? How do we respond to it? How do we respond to it? Does that stir up anger and shaking a fist, digging our heels? And how do we respond when we're confronted with our sin? If you think about it, doesn't life come down to our response to our response when confronted with sin? Isn't that the gospel message? Isn't that the, the issue with billions of people on the planet? How will they respond when confronted with with their sin. Think about how people respond. Some people try to avoid it and say, you know what, I'm just not going to deal with it. That's, I'll, let, the, I'll let, let fate figure it out. Other people are like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna ho- to do the scale system and hope that the good outweighs the bad, right? Some people put their hope in that. Some, some people, some people are, are just saying, you know what, this, this, I'm sticking to this tradition and holding the same thing that my ancestors did, even though I think it's crazy. I, I'm sticking to that. I'm clinging to it. I'm holding on to that. How do we respond to our sin? That's what Jesus was crying about. That's what he says, oh, if you would have just understood what would bring you peace, if you could have just understood that. My question to us is if he were to cleanse your temple, what would he find? If he were to cleanse your temple, if he were to come in, open the gates of your life, open the gates of your heart, your mind, your inner conversations, your dialogue, the way you've interacted with a friend's coworker, spouse, whatever this last week, what would he confront in your life? What would need to get cleansed? This was a pretty serious thing happening there. And my question as I was wrestling through this text is what would he cleanse in my life? How would I respond to that? He showed up there. They were expecting a a military revolt. And instead, what did he do? He called them out in their sin. He addressed the real issue. He's less concerned about their immediate circumstances and more concerned about their fallen condition. It's the same for us. He's less concerned about our immediate circumstances. That might be the thing that's just the only thing you're consumed with. But he's more concerned about your condition, Where's your heart at? Is it, where is it at in terms of a relationship with him? Where, how, how's your character? Are you growing more and more as a believer in his likeness? Less concerned about our circumstances, more about our condition. We learn a lot in this text, I would propose, about the character of the person we're invited to follow. We learned some important things. One, we talked about it early on, is that he's in complete control There's nothing that falls outside of his reign and what he's able to alter. He knows what's coming. He can change it. He can, nothing's going to get in the way of his will. He's in complete control. We learned that he keeps his promises. There's so many of them. How many did I say? 3,000 what? 
500 something promises in scripture that we can cling to, hold to, visit that site, be encouraged by them, like get, be, be aware of it. If somebody's promised you something, you should know about it, especially when it's the, the maker, the creator. That's a, that'd probably be a, a good exercise. Then lastly, an important thing collectively and individually, that he cares about us deeply, that it breaks our heart when we miss it when we don't get it, when, we, when, when it, it just blows by us. For those of us that are here this morning, you've never embraced Jesus Christ. Man, it breaks his heart. He hates that, to think of you missing the opportunity for peace. Don't leave today without getting that figured out. I'll tell you what, this is uh, an encouraging passage in my mind. I'm like, I'm following someone that know, knows the future, controls the future, has tons of promises for me, uh, so, somebody that loves me deeply, has the best plans for me. I don't know. I, I would say that this is worthy of finding some hope in this text. Anybody else see that in there? Amen. Let me pray for us as we conclude. God, I thank you so much for how this book, how this study of your life reveals your character and paints a clearer picture of, of who you are defines the relationship, if you will, of what we should expect in following you. I thank you that every corner we turn, everything we look at, we see that you have our best in mind. That even the things that you've called us to, you've said, listen, I'm gonna serve you with the ability to do that. It's all on you, God. I thank you for that. I pray that we'd be able to lean into that, even going into our week ahead, God. Whatever we're facing, whatever circumstances we're in, whether we're at a high place, whether we're in a low place, that we'd cling to the truth of your promises, not just our expectations, but your promises. Our expectations can take us down some some wrong roads, so I just pray that you'd redirect us if that's where we've landed. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for the example that you set. Thank you for your patience with us. We love you and praise you. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. I would say that's an appropriate response to as we discover what he has planned for us. You're like, all right, I'm in. I'll follow. I pray that that would be in our week ahead. I pray you have a fantastic week in the Lord. God bless you.